Huntsville, Alabama, a.k.a. Rocket City. But what do you know about it? Have you even heard of it? This week, I'm going to visit the U.S. Space and Rocket Center in Huntsville, Alabama. So we're going to have a little look at the history of this Alabama city. Please do get in touch and let us know your thoughts on what we're up to. Use at Space and Things 1 on Twitter or tag us at Space and Things Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And please share it with all your space flight loving friends and hopefully you'll all enjoy episode 10 of Space and Things. You're listening to the Space and Things Podcast with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. I'm Emily Carney. And I'm Dave Giles, and welcome to episode 10 of our podcast. So, Emily, uh, it's been a big week for you because it's the 10th anniversary of your blogging site, right? Yes. uh, Congratulations. uh, Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yesterday was the 10th anniversary of the first blog post I put up on uh, The Space Available. It was originally on a blogger uh, website because it was free. And... um, (laughs) Because, yeah, at the time, that's all I really could do. And um, in, I believe, in early 2019, uh, uh, the NSS was nice enough to agree to let me host it on their blog roll. That is, of course, a a really wonderful honor because uh, I I really love the National Space Society and uh, what they do. So that's really cool. But, yeah, it's been a crazy 10 years. Uh, Lately, I've been kind of looking back at some of the stuff I've written over the last 10 years and you know, some of them I can look back and honestly say, wow, I really knocked that one out of the park. And some of them uh, I look back and I'm like, uh, what, you know, what was I thinking? Was I, did I have, what was going on at the time in my life? So yeah, there was one post I did about Jack Lausma. Jack Lausma, for those of you who don't know who he is, he's a Skylab and space shuttle astronaut and he's much beloved. And um, he really deserves somebody to write, you know, a full length, kind of, you know, article about his entire career, you know? And instead, I think I wrote an article about how hot he was or something <laughs> like that. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So I, that, you know, I need to go back and fix that and just be like, look, I screwed up a few years ago. I just put <laughs> hot pictures of Jack. I basically was just like pictures of him looking good. And um, so I think I need to go back and fix that and just be like, look, uh, I screwed up. Here's an actual article about like what he did, you know, Yeah, for sure. There's a few articles like that that I'm like, what the heck was I thinking at the time? But I don't know. Maybe I'll, I, I think I'm going to write a blog post and go back and showcase some of the worst ones. Oh, and just nice. Be like, yeah, what was going on in my head at the time? I do not know. What was your first? What was your first post? Do you remember? Actually, it was about the Apollo fifteen um, stamp scandal. Oh, okay. Um, and I was always kind of fascinated by that story because I always kind of had a feeling that there was a little more to it than what had been reported. Mm. Sure enough, within the year of me making that post, uh, "Falling to Earth" by Al Warden came out and clarified a lot of the details of what actually happened so honestly the first blog post if you go back that far um i don't think it was very good there's not a lot of detail it's not very long a lot of my first year posts i think were just really just kind of you know me trying to be funny and just memes and just stuff like that yeah i don't think i really became like a serious space historian until like 2015 (laughs) which is sad (laughs) that's like that's five years into it so I don't think I really got my crap together until about five years later. And that's when I started. That's when people started reading my stuff and commenting like, wow, this is actually good. Mm. I'm like, yeah, imagine that. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's kind of neat to see how I've grown and matured in the last 10 years from being kind of sacrilegious about some subjects to actually, you know, trying to write seriously about things and, you know, trying to put them in their proper place. I think if anything though the thing i'm proud of the most with this space available is probably putting some um long-held myths to rest as much as i can so i i I am proud of that aspect and i think um it's given people some fun and just you know something to read so i'm definitely proud of it it's been a it's 
I can't believe it's, it doesn't seem like 10 years. I look back and I'm like, that wasn't that long ago. But It's amazing how much stuff you can get done in 10 years as well, isn't it? Uh, but, but, exactly. But, uh, it does take time to find your voice when you're, when you're being creative. I mean, I've... Oddly, it's my 10th year of being a singer-songwriter, and I feel like I'm only just getting started with that as well. And I look back at the first five years' worth of songs, and I'm, did I really write that? It was all a similar thing. It was me trying to be a bit jokey and uh, and uh, showed people that I'm not taking myself too seriously. And then I realised I had something I wanted to say, and, and it t- just takes a time to get your confidence up to, to go, yeah. do you know what? I do know enough about this to, to talk with, with confidence on this, or I do know I am good enough at this to be able to, to to do the stuff I want to do and I, it's probably a very similar journey um, just a, a different subject matter yeah I, I think that really sums it up pretty well I think at the beginning I lacked um, confidence I don't think I lacked expertise as much yep. as maybe confidence I think when you develop over time and you kind of enjoy some more successes and you can say okay that turned out really well you can kind of take more risk you know, and maybe do things that are more, I wouldn't say dangerous, but you can write things, you know, kind of from a, you can be more creative, I guess, is yeah, what yeah, I'm trying yeah. to say. So um, I kind of look at it that way. Is It's definitely been a growing process as well. I think at the beginning, I was just trying to be silly and fun and light and goofy, and it evolved into something completely different. What, what have you been What have you been up working on this week? I saw you've been writing something for this week. Is the, the Brian O'Leary stories? No, I, I'm. Those are ongoing. Um, right. I've been kind of writing. I've been writing a series for like the last year about uh, Brian O'Leary and Gerard K. O'Neill. Okay. And kind of comparing and contrasting their careers and their lives because um, they had they started out kind of doing similar things, and if you read the series, they go completely different directions. So it's kind of interesting because. When I was investigating that, I'm like, man, you know, what happened? Like, why did one go this one way? And why did one go this completely opposite direction, away from science completely? Yeah. So um, I've kind of been doing that for the last year, and it's it's sort of ongoing. I'm not sure if it's ever going to end. Um, <laughs> but uh, I did work this week. Actually, it, it wasn't a piece for my blog. I am going to do a blog post in the next couple weeks about the 10th anniversary. I did write a piece this week for uh, the National Space Society, and it's about the life of Gerard K. O'Neill. Nice. And I was very proud to be asked to do that because that's one of my big heroes, and I really admire this person a lot. So it's neat to be asked to write with some authority about this person. Yeah, that, yeah for sure. You know, I really think is cool. So, so that's what I worked on, and it was a pretty big piece. So nice. I hope they like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I look forward to reading that. I, I do like what the, you do have a good way of finding the, the the stories which people don't know too much about, or the people that that people don't know too much about, and and focus on them. And I think that's important. Obviously, obviously you know, every, everyone can go and read a book by Buzz about Buzz, but you don't see much written about about Brian O'Leary or, or, or um, Jared O'Neill and, and people like that. So I think it's important that someone's doing it and and. The fact that you're doing it so well is wonderful as well. So well done and good luck for the next 10 years. Thank you. Yep. I plan on being around as long as I can be. So, yep. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. If you got a minute, I think we owe you a report on strawberries and pork loin. This week in space. All right, let's go right back to last Wednesday. Obviously, the podcast came out on Thursday, but we record on Tuesdays. But last Wednesday, the 28th of October. And let's head over to New Zealand, where Rocket Labs uh, had their 15th successful launch of their Electron rocket, this time delivering some satellites for Planet Labs and Canon. The Planet Lab satellites are delightfully called Super Doves, and they're used to provide high-resolution images of the Earth from above. Uh, Rocket Labs have also announced that their next launch, for later this month hopefully, will include an Astronome. That's right, I said gnome. It's a 3D Half-Life Gnome Chomsky, created for gaming company Valve Software's co-founder, Gabe Newell, by the design studio Weta Workshop. Uh, If you've watched The Lord of the Rings, then Weta are the people that designed all their stuff. Uh, It's a great place. I've been over there. It's a lot of fun to go and see. Um, But Gabe has promised that for every person who watches the launch, he will donate one 
New Zealand dollar to the Starship Children's Hospital, uh, which is pretty cool. So uh, I'll post some photos of this gnome. We're going to have an astronome. I don't know whether it's the first gnome that's ever gone to space, but it's still pretty funny. When I saw it, I was like, that's fun. That's fun. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm, I'm interested to see what it's going to what it's going to be like. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like the budget version of, uh, of Elon sending a Tesla into space, but we'll take it. <laughs> we'll take yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll take anything we can get. It's yeah. 2020, we'll take it. <laughs> I'll have a gnome up there any day of the week. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Also, while we're talking about uh, launches, um, as we record this, it's Tuesday the 3rd of November, and this will be published on the 5th. And United Launch Alliance was supposed to launch an Atlas V rocket carrying a satellite for the US National Reconnaissance Office uh, tonight. Um, but this morning, that switched to tomorrow. Um, so it may have gone up by the time this is aired, or it may not have. I guess it depends on whether Emily is planning on watching it or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, since I am the controller of all space debris <laughs> and things going up and down in yeah. space. Um, yeah, Skylab, by the way, that was me. That was me. I was still, I was alive. Yeah, you were like, I want it to land on, I, in, in Australia so there'll be pieces of it for me to go and look at. Yeah, exactly. That that was all me. Y'all just didn't know it back then. That was me. But um, <laughs> news, <laughs> breaking news. But um. No, like, uh, honestly, I don't, um, if it's supposed to launch, is it supposed to launch in the evening? I'm embarrassed to say I'm I not. I think it's, yes, yeah, I think it's 5 p.m. your time tomorrow night. I will probably be able to watch it then. I'll probably try to watch it. I I might. Why not? I mean, if it goes, it goes. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If so. it doesn't, it's definitely your fault. It's definitely <laughs> me, yeah. No, I'll probably go watch it because, um, cool. yeah, by that point, I'll just be getting home. So I'll probably just uh, go chill outside my neighborhood and watch it. It's actually, um, it's starting to get really nice now in central Florida. When I say nice, the temperature starting to drop. Um, this morning it was about 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. If, yeah, if you've been here during the summer, it is like, um, it is like a hellscape. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I'll probably go out and watch it. It'll be really nice and it'll be getting dark. I was about to say, if it gets a bit darker as well earlier, now you've had your daylight saving time um, change. Yep. That uh, yeah, you might get a nicer view of it as well. It's slightly easier to spot in the sky, I guess. Yeah, it'll be it'll probably be easy to see, so yeah. it'll be nice. Right, and finally, before we move on to this week's main feature, um, I think this story is pretty cool. Last Thursday, mission operators sent a series of commands to the Voyager Two spacecraft for the first time since mid March. Uh, it's been up there on its own. Uh, while the Australian-based 230-foot-wide radio antenna used to talk to it has been under repair. And after the 34-hour and 48-minute round trip, a little hello came back. Uh, Voyager was Voyager 2 was launched all the way back in August 1977 and uh, flew by Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and, and Neptune, sending back some stunning photos. Uh, and it's also carrying a gold-plated audio-visual disc which contains images and sounds from Earth in case it ends up meeting intelligent life forms on other planetary systems. Um, this is something I do find a bit bizarre. Um, as that would require that life to be able to read or hear the same as we do, uh, or to have the technology to interpret it. But anyway, I'm sure they'll love listening to Mozart and Chuck Berry when they figure it out. Um, anyway, amazingly, Voyager 2 is still sending us a signal uh, and has reached a distance of 17 and a half hours of light travel time from Earth. Uh, and it actually left the solar system reaching interstellar space back in November 2018. And we'll hopefully continue to hear from it right up until 2025. And that's some achievement from 1970s hardware and technology. Uh, so, yeah, it was nice to hear from it again. Cool story. Yeah, the the, sto the whole story of Voyager, the, the whole program, both of the spacecraft, it's just, you know, if it was something that didn't exist, let's say, you know, it didn't happen, and you tried to tell somebody about it, they wouldn't believe it. Exactly. It's, just, it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, just from beginning to present. I mean, I don't want to say end because it's not over. So. No. There's a wonderful Twitter page. Obviously, I'll put a link. Um, which tweets out the exact locate, well, exactly how far away they are at all times. It's quite fun, which is how I know it's a, it's about 17 and a half um, light hours or whatever it is. It's a ways out. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's further out than the fourth street Starbucks. I mean, it's a little ways, <laughs> it's a little ways away from now, from us yeah, now. For sure. 
I don't know. You're a little younger than me, so I don't know how. Um, if you remember any of the flybys, I remember. It's I remember when it flew by um, Uranus because I remember. I want to say that happened right after Challenger happened, so I right. do remember that. And uh, Neptune happened in '89, and I remember that. And I remember because we had this is in like the 80s but we still had um we had like a little black and white tv like one of we had a few tvs but we had a little black and white tv with like the antenna on it you know old school that was back when um in the united states we got like if you had a tv with an antenna you get like three channels on it (laughs) you know that was back in the day and you get like the uhf channels or something there's a uhf switch yeah uh some of you from a if you can remember this, you may want to buy a, a moisturizer or a night serum, by the way, because you're getting old. But um, <laughs> anyway, just to remind you, but yeah, I remember watching the Neptune encounter, like a story about it on TV, on like a black and white TV. So that's how long ago that happened. And I, I just think about it and never would I imagine, I, I think I was 11 back then, never did I think back then like, wow, this will be around when I'm in my 40s. Yeah. You know, you always think spacecraft don't last very long, especially something that launched in 1977. I mean, that was a... I don't want to insult anybody out there. Um, it's around my age. So <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a while ago, you know? So yeah. I just find the whole story incredible. So I'm still fascinated by it, and I love to read about yeah, it. Yeah, big fan. Big fan of the Voyages. And those the, the, the images are so iconic as well, because they were the first time we really got an up-close-and-personal look at some of these planets. And, and they were so clear... I mean, obviously now, you know, to an extent, uh, Cassini, uh, Cassini and Juno have, have topped the images we got, but uh, it, they're still wonderful. And and to have done it as 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 we said with the with the technology that was available to them then is quite something. Yeah, a, a nice a nice bit of news there. When when I saw that bit, uh, I, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy seeing that. I, I was happy. And so we get on to our main discussion this week. Emily is about to go and visit the wonderful U.S. Rocket and Space Center in Huntsville, Alabama this weekend. Uh, I was fortunate enough to spend an afternoon there, just one afternoon there, last September as part of my ridiculous trip around the U.S. to see all the crewed spacecraft. Uh, it's it's an incredible place and is home to the Apollo 16 command module, uh, as well as one of the three remaining Saturn V rockets, which is uh, the rocket which took humans from the moon from 1968 to 72. Uh, and it's lying down in a rather large hangar with some wonderful artifacts all around it. Uh, there is also a beautiful full replica of the Saturn V standing upright outside the museum, so you can see it from quite a way away, which is really something when you're driving. It's, it does get you very excited. Um, I, I don't believe Emily's been there before, and I, I can assure you you're in for a treat. So right now we're going to talk about uh, while this is in Huntsville and how Huntsville became Rocket City. Yes, uh, I've never been there before. Uh, I've been told about it multiple times. I have a lot of friends who live in Huntsville, who either work for NASA or work for the Rocket Center. And for years, they've been like, you got to get here. You got to get here. You got to get here. And finally, I just, I like, I think I said this on on the podcast a few weeks ago. I just, I had Delta credit and I saved up enough money and I was like, man, I'm just going to go there. I know yeah. it's kind of a weird time with COVID, but um, I can assure everybody I'm staying pretty isolated and uh, I will be protected and I'm wearing a shield and a mask and all that. So I'm not going to try to mix with germs much, but um, yeah, I'm really excited. I uh, reserved a room at the Marriott uh, right above the uh, Saturn V. Oh, wow. You know, part of me wanted to go budget and just be like, nah, I'll just get a regular room. But I was like, you know what? Why not? Yeah. So I'm really excited about this trip and like I said like you said and like I said I've never I've never been there before I'm not sure uh what's taking me so long but I'm extremely excited and obviously I plan on taking a lot of photos and sharing my experience uh with everybody when I go this weekend but yeah I leave Friday morning and I'll be there till Sunday night it's not a very long trip but uh, I am staying at the Rocket Center. I got tickets for uh, Saturday and Sunday. So I didn't intend on going to Huntsville last year. It happened when I was doing the first leg of my trip. I was at Kennedy Space Center and I met a guy called Jim McDade. 
Yeah, uh, Jim, I know him. Yeah, and uh, he told me all about the Space Hipsters, which was great, uh, even though I was wearing a Space Hipsters t-shirt, so thanks for that, Jim. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's cool. Yeah, and he's a great guy. And he said, you are going to Huntsville. I told him about my trip. He said, you're going to Hunt- Huntsville? And I was like, well, I haven't got it planned yet, but I'm going to be in Nashville in September, so it's not that far. I might hire a car. He said, if you come, I'll, I'll meet you. We'll go for dinner afterwards. You've got to go to Huntsville, though. It's amazing. You have to go. If you're into this, you have to go to Huntsville. He couldn't have drilled it in. So at that point, I was like, Okay, well, I've got to go to Huntsville then. <laughs> that was how that happened. But yeah, um, one one of my favourite things they have there, um, which I want you to look out for, is um, it's as you go up to the main entrance, um, there is a little um, memorial to Miss Baker, who was the squirrel monkey uh, that was the first US animal to fly in space and return alive in uh, in 1959. And people always put bananas there. Which I think is really Aww, sweet. That's so, really uh, sweet. Yeah. So uh, it died. It died back in 1984, and uh, and and there she is in the in the in the grounds, which is lovely. Anyway, Huntsville. Do you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. I'll give a, a kind of a capsule uh, history of uh, Huntsville and why it is where it is at. Post World War II, the uh, United States uh, armaments, like our missiles. Um, it became consolidated in Redstone Arsenal, which was in Huntsville, Alabama. There's also a lot of history, and this is kind of where it gets sticky, but I feel like it has to be acknowledged. Um, a lot of the uh, Operation Paperclip scientists, which were from Germany, a lot of those scientists came over uh, to the United States post-war, and they started working on a lot of our armaments and missiles and stuff like that. Uh, basically, fast-forward post-war there's Redstone Arsenal, uh, one of the big figures in um, devising uh, missiles and armaments, obviously, was Werner von Braun. And um, around uh, the beginning of the space race, when they started putting together NASA centers, I don't think Marshall was initially made a NASA center. I right. think it was made a NASA center in 1960. But um, Yeah, that's, that's what I've got written down here. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing this from memory. <laughs> oh, well done. Um, Good work. Yeah, but it wasn't initially a NASA center. I think it was still Redstone Arsenal. Von Braun was pulled in to really work on the human spaceflight program around the, you know, the Mercury flights because they were having a lot of issues with the Atlas vehicle, which um, if you look at the old Atlas vehicle, the ones that John Glenn flew, it, it was kind of scary. I mean, I hate to say that, but it had a like a flexible... Like, it had to basically have propellant in it, or else it would collapse. Um, mm-hmm. So they were having issues with this launch vehicle. So um, to sort of expedite things, um, Von Braun had the Redstone rocket, and the Redstone rocket, after some tests, some of them more successful than others, I think we saw a couple weeks ago the 4-inch flight uh, depicted on the right stuff. There were some inaccuracies in it. I don't think Von Braun was around for that particular test. I think it was Dr. Debus. Um, who did work for Von Braun at the time. And eventually, Dr. Uh, Kurt Debus uh, led Kennedy Space Center. Right, okay. That became the center of launch operations, which is a different center from Huntsville. Mm-hmm. So basically what happened was around 1960, Hunts, uh, Huntsville Marshall Space Flight Center became its own center. And I want to say initially the engineers had to go to Kennedy Space Center for launch operations and Things like that, but it it rocket development during the Saturn um, era, which started, I want to say, in 1961, it kind of changed a little bit. Um, the centers sort of developed their own specializations, Yeah, um, if that makes any sense. For example, Kennedy Space Center was the center for just launches. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we talk about Kennedy Space Center in these kind of reverential terms, and, it, you know, it's a really awesome place to visit, and you all should go there, and it's amazing. Um, but it really was the center for launch operations only. Uh, JSC was where the astronauts were, and it was where um, some of the training was. Uh, Huntsville was where the launch was the home of the Saturn V at the time and the home of the Saturn program. Yeah. And um, in the mid-60s, it did expand to training. They did have the neutral buoyancy tank, the original one in Huntsville. I believe it's still there. I want to say it's part of Space Camp. And um, that was a big deal in the in the 60s. They did a lot of uh, training there for uh, they really developed EVAs there for the first time. Mm -hmm. That's really where they started to develop the idea of 
okay, we're going to do practical EVAs. You know, we're not just going to go out of the spacecraft and wave at people. We're going to actually fix stuff in space or do a task in space. Yeah. So um, that was a really big deal. And Marshall had it. And um, Marshall, I'm, I'm kind of fast forwarding a bit. It wasn't just important in um, the Saturn V development and the Saturn rocket family development. There was, of course, the Saturn One and the Saturn 1B as well. But uh, Marshall was also really important in uh, other programs like Skylab. Uh, everybody's rolling their eyes like, she's talking about Skylab again. <laughs> but it was really important. Um, but Some of the uh, equipment was tested in uh, Huntsville. I want to say the um, Apollo telescope mount was uh, basically designed there um, and fabricated think it was fabricated there but that was basically all huntsville yeah they also did if you go on the marshall space flight center i believe that's what it's called the marshall space flight center um article on uh wikipedia i know it's wikipedia but the the marshall article isn't really bad on there but there's kind of a weird picture of on there and it looks like kind of air bearings on a floor that's actually the um kind of a prototype version of something that was called the serpentuator let me explain what this is. <laughs> this is for real OGs of Skylab history. So just listen up. There was actually a proposal to put a robotic arm on Skylab, which would take the astronaut, you know, from the space station and put them over to where the um, uh, the telescope area was. And it would aid them in retrieving the um, the film. So they actually built like a prototype version of this. It, it had air bearings on it. So that's how it functioned on Earth. It actually had more dexterity than the Canada arm does. And oh, wow. um, yeah, it was for its time. It was really futuristic and um, it was kind of a neat idea. Uh, but over time, I think the people planning Skylab found out it was it was a little cumbersome and they didn't really need it. Right. And um, they didn't really need it. If you just put handholds on the vehicle and train the astronaut to, you know, go over to that area, they would be fine. So I think after a while it was found to be, okay, it's kind of unnecessary. And plus it was super expensive. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that ended up not becoming part of the program. But uh, it's kind of a neat uh, little aside in Skylab history that it could have had the first robotic arm. Um, Wow. That's kind of neat. Yeah. So a lot of people don't know this, but yeah, and um, on my uh, website, uh, there's some actual pictures. They're not very high quality pictures because they're scans from the 60s, so they're not really um, high res, but th- it shows pictures of what this concept looked like. Yeah, for completists only, Skylab almost had a uh, robotic arm, So, and it was in Huntsville. I don't know where it is. The, the thing you see on Wikipedia... I don't know where it is now. I wish I knew if if it's still over there. Somebody please reach out to me and tell me because <laughs> I want to get a picture of this thing. Yeah, I doubt I, it's I, still I there. I don't recall it being in a museum. Maybe it might maybe not even exist. So who it knows? It may not even exist. Yeah, they may have they may have scrapped it. Who knows? Did they, uh, they also developed the uh, the lunar rover there? Didn't they? You are correct. Yeah, um, they also de- developed the lunar roving vehicle or the lunar rover as we know it, and. Uh, the story of the lunar rover itself probably deserves a, a separate podcast from this one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just incredible. Uh, they developed that and got it flying, or not flying, driving, I should yep. say. Um, they developed that, and I, I believe the uh, head of that project was Sonny Maria. And uh, he is really a unsung, an unsung hero of Apollo. Like, that guy, he's not a household name. He I've should ne- be. I've never heard that name, so that's one I'm going to look up. Yeah, he uh, had a lot to do. He he, I believe he well, he worked in Huntsville. He had a lot to do with um, Saturn V design. He's the one of the people that came up with the idea to uh, how to fix Pogo, right? Which okay. was um a big problem in Apollo Six, as we know. Uh, yeah. Apollo Six. If you look that up, for people who are not aware of what happened, it uh experienced a lot of problems, partially due to uh, vibrations during launch, undesirable vibrations during launch. I believe he's one of the people that troubleshot that and uh, helped to fix it. But he also was the um, lead person in um, the, the I want to say the pro yeah, the project manager for the uh, lunar Rover. And um, they really put that project together within 18 months. 
I mean, from like, okay, we want a lunar rover to, okay, now it's flying. That's a very, like, that's almost unheard of. I don't know if nowadays you could get that. Yeah. Um, During the 80s, we're going to transition now because we've covered Skylab and we've covered Apollo. During the shuttle era, uh, Marshall was in charge of the the, uh, SRBs, the uh, main engines, and also the external tank. Okay. So they... They were in, in charge for uh, not putting that together, but sort of the maintenance and, you know, general fitness of that kind of stuff. So um, an issue with shuttle that wasn't really around during Apollo was um, the decentralization of NASA. Like if you look at Apollo, every center kind of had its own like goal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And with um, shuttle, it, it, the leadership got a little decentralized, which in my opinion, um, contributed to some of the problems during that program. Right, okay. It did have tasks during the shuttle program. Uh, launch operations, though, were done at Kennedy Space Center. Like, you know, the the boosters, all that stuff was put together in the uh, vehicle assembly building. So, um, but I believe the sort of the maintenance and the development and, you know, just kind of an overview of those components were done in Huntsville. That's really it during the shuttle program. And now we're in the ISS era and there were a lot of the uh, payloads and components for the ISS were also, um, I want to say they were developed there as well. So it, it has had a large um, kind of a input in that. If I'm correct, I'm doing this from memory. And, um, and it's also develop. they're also working on developing SLS as we speak. I actually have a few friends who work on the SLS program who, uh, are there right now. Oh, nice. And there was also, I'm leaving this out, but I got to give a shout out cause I know a few people who did work on this, but, um, there was also a lot of space lab heritage there as well. I want to say some of that was worked on is there as well, yeah. which was of course, um, it was a joint, uh, American, uh, European, uh, endeavor, during the shuttle era, it's just basically a little lab that went into the uh, payload bay for the space shuttle. So there's a lot of space lab heritage there as well. So really, um, historically, Huntsville has had its hand in pretty much everything. Yeah. Everything that NASA has done. And I want to say it's the largest. Uh, it, I think it's the largest center. I think you're right in terms of staff numbers for sure. Yeah, uh, I think it has the most people there. So absolutely. I, I, my mind was telling me, because like I said, I'm doing this from memory. I, I'm baffled <laughs> by the, by how you're doing this, because everything I'm looking at, you're, you're bang on. You keep saying, I want to say, but everything you say is, is bang on. So <laughs> Yeah. Well, no, it's just um, sometimes, and I think we're going to discuss this later in the podcast. I just worry about, you know, spitting out something that's completely wrong. Like Marshall... Uh, Space Flight Center is the home of the the bats or something <laughs> nuts, you know. And you're like, that's not what this that's not what this says, you know. So I just worry about that because I just want to be as accurate as I possibly can, so I don't steer people in the wrong direction to look for something insane, you of know. Of course, but, but yeah, I mean that's a, that's a fan. What you've just done is a fantastic overview. I mean, you're right; they've pretty much had their hand in everything going. You know, Hubble, uh, the Chandra X-ray observatory as well. You know, all these all these names you hear, they've had a they've had a big part to play in them. They may yes. not have done all of the all of the, the individual parts, but they've they've been involved with it. Uh, and it is a big, it is a massive centre. You are listening to Space and Things. Just want to go back for those people who don't know. Right at the start, you mentioned Operation Paperclip. Yes. Um, so this was the the official program which brought over. Uh, the rocket scientists from Germany, which had been working for the Nazis. And it was the hush-hush way of of getting them over. It was called Operation Paperclip. And that's how Werner von Braun ended up over here. And there is a bit of controversy about him because he was essentially a Nazi party member who built the V2 rockets, which blitzed London uh, and and other places as well. So the fact that he ended up working for Americans uh, and didn't face any prosecution for 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 what he did as a Nazi uh, is one of the is one of those things which gets talked about but there's, I mean there's not really much you can do about it now is it it happened yeah he died uh, yeah, he exactly. died in he 77 died, I think uh, yeah and, and he he was involved in it all so there's, there's not much you can really do is there it just is it is it, what it is as a Jewish person I'm kind of when I discuss it you know it's like you kind of it's a very complicated topic for me because there's that part of me that's like, well, you know, he 
did develop the Saturn V, and but you know, there's a yin and yang there, and um, it's very uh, complicated. So yeah, yeah I, and what you said was completely correct. So I want to make that very clear uh, that what you said was a hundred percent true. So that I I appreciate that you didn't skirt around it because there are space historians who really skirt around that topic and um and i feel like i kind of did at the beginning you know because i wanted to keep it positive yeah yeah but i'm glad you brought it up of course i mean yeah it's it's, but you're right though yeah i I only wanted to bring it up just in case people wondered what operation paperclip was but but you're correct there's there's been a lot of conversation about uh erasing history this year and and you know pulling down statues for for people who had past they may have done good things but they also did bad things and I don't think anything is a race uh, pulling down a statue I don't believe is a race in history at all because within within every space museum going is a bit about Werner von Braun you're going to you're going to see things about him you're going to learn about him and almost every place I went to also mentioned that he wasn't f- former Nazi party member so yeah. it's not like it's it's hidden it's just awkward to know whether he should be celebrated or not you, I mean it, it's hard to know how to how to deal with that it's he did bad stuff, but then he did good stuff, yeah. which we like. So yeah. you, you have to, you, you you should at least acknowledge the fact. Yeah, but he did do bad stuff, and and uh, apparently his his gravestone is very humble. It's a small little thing. He doesn't have a big big thing for him, and I think that's part of it as well. That there's that just that complexity towards him because when you see him asked about it, he never appears that remorseful. And I think that's yeah. the, I think that's the challenging thing. Like he said, he he makes out that it was his job and he had to do it, and he wouldn't have a choice. But at the same time, he doesn't seem that remorseful. And I think that's where it, where it's quite challenging to to talk about. But without him, we wouldn't have a lot of what we what we love and a lot of the history that we love and the people that that did the things that we love wouldn't have happened without him. So you have to acknowledge the fact that he was a, a, a heavyweight. And a lot of the, the, you know, you look at the names of all the people that were involved when when Marshall was set up, they're all German. Yes, they're they all were German all German. And, and they're all going to have those history. But but so... Dr. Debus was also had the same history. Exactly. Um, interestingly, the, it's, it's called the Marshall uh, Space Site Center and it's named after General of the Army George Marshall, who was an American soldier and statesman and uh, he ended up being a chief of staff under FDR and Truman, and also served as Secretary, Secretary of State and Defense under Truman. So I, it's one of those weird ones. I only found that out today. I don't know why I didn't look that up, yeah. but I don't know. I, I found that odd, because obviously you've got the, the, the various NASA centers, Kennedy, kind of obvious why it's called Kennedy, yeah. and it's kind of obvious why you've got Johnson Space Center as well, and you've got the Glenn Center, and you've got the Armstrong Center, so they're fairly obvious... Uh, why they're named but the Marshall one's a weird one I wonder one day whether that will get 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 changed yeah probably uh, not but uh, Glenn and Armstrong had different names um, originally I want to say Glenn was Lewis and Armstrong was Dryden right okay because if you look at like not ancient it only happened a few years ago if you look at older NASA literature if you're writing about like Edwards Air Force Base and you know the test pilot you know, programs there and stuff like that. You'll see Dryden referred to all the yes. time. And as a journalist, you see that and you're like, ooh, it's Armstrong now. So you've got to make it clear, you know, then Dryden, now Armstrong. <laughs> the irony is he'd probably hate the fact it was renamed, uh, especially after <laughs> him. But but there there you go. Uh, but yeah, Huntsville is, a, is just a wonderful place. I was only there for, for that one afternoon. And there's a buzz around the, the, the town. It's and it's all about the, the rockets. If you were to drive from Nashville to Birmingham on the uh, on Highway 65, one of the service stations has a, a Saturn 1B rocket there. Yeah, I've seen Just photos on, of it along the side of the road. So. And it's there to try and advertise the fact that Huntsville, just a little way away, you know, is Rocket City. Uh, and it's just trying to point people in that direction to say, go and visit it because it's cool. They get about, on a normal year, they get about half a million visitors um, to the Space Center, which is uh, pretty impressive. But, you know, Kennedy Space Center obviously gets a load of visitors and it's near Disney. So it's obviously helped by that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how many people go to go to Houston, but I imagine probably quite probably quite a lot. But but people should go to, to Huntsville. It, it, 
they're, they're the three sites that have the Saturn V, and the Saturn V, you just have to see it if if you if you're interested. In this. It's so impressive. Every time you stand near that thing, it's it blows you away at how how big it is, and the fact that Huntsville also has one standing up. Yes, it's a replica, but they have a a, a, a full scale replica stand up, and in the inside the museum, they've also got a full scale replica of the space shuttle with the with the fuel tank and the and the boosters as well the srbs as well on its site and that that's amazing you can walk all the way around that yes they're replicas but you don't see that kind of thing very often so they've done it really well i want to drive under the uh saturn five like alan Shepard did before did you hear that story i want (laughs) to i want to drive under that so if i could i don't know if they'll let me but that would be fun you can stand right underneath it that's for sure i i I think oh, what I, that's so I, cool. I took photos, and I remember. I remember saying this, this. I've said this to a few people, and it sounds ridiculous when I say it. But when you're at the bottom, when you're standing right at the bottom, you take a photo up. You can't see the top of it. Oh wow! Because that's, that's how, how big it is. That's how big it is. That, that that sounds a bit silly, but at the same time, that is the the definition of big. Is if you can't see the the top from the bottom. Because I was wondering, like, am I going to be? I honestly was wondering that. I was thinking about it last night because I was kind of daydreaming because. uh in the United States, it's election day, and last night I was just anxious. <laughs> yeah, and I was just daydreaming, like just daydream about Huntsville. So I was like, "Am I going to be able to see the top from the bottom?" <laughs> I was honestly thinking that because oh, I'm, I'm like, it now for you, I'm spoiling." No, because I was honestly like, "Is that how big it is?" Because people are like, "You're not going to be prepared for how big that thing is," and I'm like thinking. You know, I'm sure when I see it, it's going to be like, it's going to hit me different now yeah. because I've only seen it um, lying down. Yeah. At, you know, Kennedy Space Center, obviously there is one, but it's in the, um, it's in the Saturn V, the Apollo Saturn V Center and it's lying on its side and it's still big. And I like the way that, you know, they have it kind of split into pieces so you can see yeah. every stage, you can see the instrument unit and stuff. And for a geek like me that wants to see like every piece of it, that's really cool. To have it kind of split up, but I'm really excited to see what it looks like, you know, integrated. Like, because yeah. as somebody who was unfortunately born well after, you know, the last uh, Saturn V launch was in 73. Yeah, we, you know, we, we didn't get the opportunity to see these it. things standing up and looking in their full glory. And I think that's what's so wonderful about about that being there. Because you, yeah. you get that and you still get that awe. For the moment you first see it as you're driving down and you see it, you get that awe of, wow, look how big that is. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's exciting times. The, the museum opened in 1970, uh, and it was actually uh, Von Braun's idea to have a museum there, which is, which, uh, so you've got him to thank for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 80s, um, they set up Space Camp, which I think is also worth mentioning at this point. So, Space Camp, yeah, I mean, they made a movie about it. Yes, uh, they it, did. They made a movie you know, about it. it. I, I saw it when it came out. And, and there's, a, there's a couple of great documentaries uh, about it as well. There's one, uh, The Mars Generation on Netflix has features a load of stuff at Space Camp. It's really cool what they do there. They get kids in from all over the world to, to basically have have these uh, weeks of being uh, in the space program. They all take on different roles uh, and they learn all about it. And some people who have been on that have gone on to great things, which is pretty cool. Like they've had actual people who have gone on to become astronauts who, who have been there. Uh, which, yeah. You know, um, including, I believe, Kate Rubins, who's in the International Space Station at the moment. You know, she's, yep. a, she's a space camp graduate. There's a lot of um, really exceptional space camp, uh, I don't know if alumni, alum, alumni, uh, in the space community, and there's a few of them. Uh, I'll just mention a few, and I'm probably missing a bunch of them. Um, so if I missed you, if you're listening to this, I'm I'm really sorry. But um, uh, I know uh, Francis French went to space camp. Wow. Uh, Robert Perlman of Collect Space uh, went there. Um, Michelle Lucas, who has the uh, Higher Orbits uh, nonprofit, she uh, went there. Um, they actually have a space camp hall of fame for people who went to space camp who you know, really um, made their own path in uh, space flight. So yeah. um, I'm hoping to visit. I know the Space Camp Hall of Fame. I think they have some bricks outside the facility that, that mark, you know, them being entered into it. So I plan on looking at that because um, I know quite a few friends who are in it. Uh, I Unfortunately, I never went to space camp as a kid. Um, I'm hoping one day to save up some uh, coin and go there as an adult. So yeah, we'll, nice. we'll see. Yeah, we 
We may have a guest in a, in, a, in over the next couple of weeks. I've been trying to sort this out with um, with Sarah Crudus, who's who's uh, from the UK, and she went to space camp when she was a teenager. So we, we'll be asking cool, her okay. about that when, when if we can if we can get that interview sorted, which which we're hoping to. Uh, we keep on missing out on each other slightly, but we, we'll we'll get there. Uh, but yeah, even Bruce Springsteen's children have been, so it must be good. It must be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, I think it's important um, to keep sending kids on there. Uh, in Space Hipsters, there is a. Uh, I I don't know if I'm allowed to promote this. Of course but you are. We do. Of course you are. There is a um, nonprofit called um, Girls Taking Up Space, and um, it, it's really excellent. Um, I uh, it's run by uh, Zarina uh, Salendo, and uh, she's a really awesome lady. And um, basically, what this uh, nonprofit does and Space Hipsters, we worked a lot with them because it's a it's something we feel passionately about as well. Um, it basically raises money to save Native American girls. To space camp because um, unfortunately that's a group that's um, not really encouraged to go into STEM. You don't see that a lot. Um, it's it's really an underrepresented group, and um, it really provides these girls with you know the experience of a lifetime, and hopefully will inspire them to go on to maybe enter you know a STEM career. Maybe you know one of them will be a you know space writer. Maybe one will be an astronaut. I mean, who knows? Really, yeah. when you inspire somebody at such a young age, I mean, I can, I never went to space camp, but I know what it's like to grow up and just be obsessed with space. And I mean, that really just, it sets a tone for your whole life and it, it never really leaves you. And it really does inspire you to, you know, kind of work towards something. So um, even if you don't go into space flight, just, I mean, yeah. I think it, it kind of infuses you with kind of a wonder, you know, so um we uh, have worked with that uh, nonprofit a lot and uh, to raise funds to send Native American girls to space camp. It's something we really, really, really advocate. So, yeah. So I wanted to mention that just because um, obviously space camp is something that still is really exciting and inspiring, not just to young people, but there I believe there is an adult program as well. So um, it's definitely still relevant. Man, I'd love to do that. You're going to, I'm so jealous that you're going to be there for a whole weekend. I want to go back to Huntsville. I want to explore more. I want to, I want to see more of the city as well because there's more stuff around the city. There's a observatory, which is apparently really great. And, and loads of the botanical gardens is apparently really great. And everything is, everything is rocket themed, obviously. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I, I have a great time. Have a great time and uh, look forward to hearing your highlights next week. Okay, I'm out. That's all we have time for this week. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast. And thanks to all those who continue to support what we do via Patreon or buying t-shirts or donating. It is really quite amazing and gives us a lot of confidence. Talking of confidence, we mentioned, we've, we hinted at this earlier. Um, we've had a fair few five-star reviews on Apple, po- Apple Podcasts this week, this last week. Um, in, in fact, actually, we charted uh, in the science charts on, on, the, on yes. Apple, Apple this week. So that's, that's been a big thing. We were up in the 60s in the UK. Uh, and uh, I think we got to 200 or something in the US, which, you know, we're... we're we're, we're just a start, a small startup. We're, we're working our way up there. But thanks for everyone who's been listening because that, that's all wonderful. But in particular, we had some really kind words on Apple uh, reviews from Rebecca JCX, uh, GP Wee, and Lost Legate. I do love reading those those uh, usernames from from Apple. It's, <laughs> it's quite quite fun. Um, but we also had our first four star review, which obviously is still good. Uh, but but it's the only one that's not been a five star yet. Um, and they they did leave it a comment explaining. So I'm going to read the second half of it. Um, just because I think it's important uh, to, to acknowledge what he says, because I think it is it's perhaps something we need to uh, think about. And we obviously we have also said mm-hmm. we're, we're open open to this. And so please, anyone else has some, please don't hold back. So Jason uh, Win Stanley, which may be his real name, but that's his username. He's been very bold, and he says uh, using his real name and not hiding behind a, uh, a a fake name. But he says my one bugbear is that I wish they had more confidence in their own material and researched it a bit beforehand. For me, there 
too many pieces of information preceded by I could be wrong on this or I'm not sure about or I want to say. And it's a slight nitpick because it's a great podcast with wonderful hosts, but they could address that. It'd be even better. And yes, we are As both I did guilty many of times using those expressions. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. And, and, but we will do, do our best to eradicate those. But uh, essentially, the topic of space and spaceflight is huge. And there are some areas that we're just not experts on and we don't claim to be experts on, nor will we ever attempt to try and be experts on. So I guess using those expressions is, is almost a little bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah, a caveat. <laughs> a caveat, yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we're trying to give an overview, and, and we are putting a lot of extra reading material within our show notes, which you can then go and research yourself if you're interested. Um, but it's a tough, we've mentioned before, it's a tough balance between trying to do something which interests people that are new to this and also entertains people who know a lot about it. But we've both we're both involved on the Facebook groups, and we've seen this on Space Hipsters as well. When people talk about this stuff, even the experts don't seem to always agree on this. So there's also yeah. that part of it. You know, there's, there's people do have different opinions about the facts of how these things work. So sometimes you say, I think, or I'm not sure about this because you've read different things. It's it's not always just because we're not confident in what I say, in what we're saying. And sometimes, as, as Emily did today, we both work. Right? We both have jobs. We both do other things. We don't have that much time to make extensive notes. And Emily did all of that without any notes today. And I was sitting here with the notes and she was right on all of them. So she may have said, I want to say, but she nailed it and i've sworn there but i think that was incredible so well done emily thank you i appreciate it uh, i appreciate the uh the feedback and I, although i've got a bit defensive there um i i do think it was worth pointing out what i've just pointed out but we will do our better with our presentation of, of how we how we do that in in the hope that uh you might bump your review up to five stars later on uh, but, yeah. but but thanks for get thanks for listening and thanks for getting in contact and 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 letting us know because we do say let us know um and it is important yeah. for us that, that we hear good and bad comments um, yeah and we do appreciate the criticism and, and it was, it was i get what really, you're saying and it was written really nicely and very good constructive points so so i can't really argue, argue with that yeah, and, and like Dave said, you know, um, something I've found as a space historian we're researching certain figures is that people have differing opinions or viewpoints about what they did. And sometimes it's hard because you're like, what did this person actually do? There are differing stories about historical figures, and it's sometimes it's very hard to pin down, you know, okay, what actually happened here? So as a historian, you kind of have to preface it almost like, well... Here's what I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and that's frustrating because I don't like saying that because you want to say this definitively happened, but some people make it difficult to say that. So as uh, it's probably a habit just out of being a space historian and researching some people that nobody can really come to a consensus <laughs> on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I hope that answers uh, that that comment but but as we said please do keep your comments comments coming in we, we really do appreciate them and, and we hope you've enjoyed the show we'll see you next week but for now remember in space no one can hear you meme space and things has been brought to you by and things productions <laughs>